Hi, and welcome to Security Explained. I'm Chris Grayson. I'm Drew Porter. And I'm Logan Lamb. We're coming to you every two weeks with tips and tricks on how to protect yourself and your loved ones out there on the internet and in real life. Today we'll be discussing a burgeoning new asset class, cryptocurrencies. The Times, January 3rd, 2009. Chancellor on brink of second bailout for banks. This is the message which is embedded in the Genesis block of Bitcoin, the most valuable cryptocurrency in the world. In just under 12 years, Bitcoin has gone from nothing to a $345 billion market cap asset with SEC regulation. So, what are cryptocurrencies? What are they good for? How do they work? And why is Bitcoin so valuable? We'll be covering these topics and, if you have any, how best to secure your digital assets. Okay, so what what are cryptocurrencies? I'm sure most of our listeners who are tuning in have heard an awful lot about Bitcoin um, in the news, online. Dogecoin. Dogecoin now, yeah. <laughs> um, let's see, we've had this agenda written for a while. It's mm-hmm. funny because there has not been a... There's never really a good time to talk about cryptocurrencies. I think when we put this together, Bitcoin was hovering around, I don't know, 19, 15 grand? Yeah, 15 grand, 19 grand, somewhere around there, yep. It, it's since touched 40 grand and I don't even know what it's at right now. I think it's yeah, pumped it, again because uh, Elon Musk tweeted about it. Yep, it pumped up like 20% uh, this morning and I think it's down a little bit since then. So, yeah, a bit volatile. Golly, that's crazy. Well, so cryptocurrencies at their core, they are scarce digital assets, which are very difficult to counterfeit. Um, Bitcoin, which is the most well-known cryptocurrency, uh, it has a cap of 21 million Bitcoins. And unless, I don't know, there is some sort of a hack and everyone who runs a Bitcoin node around the world uh, goes along with the hack, that cap of 21 million Bitcoins will not change. And, uh, and that's, that's pretty cool. The way uh, Bitcoin works is uh, there are miners that create Bitcoin. And uh, already it's like mining. I thought these were just, you know, some ones and zeros on a computer. And, and that's true. Um, uh, the process of mining a Bitcoin is it's a little complicated. Um, we'd have to get into some math. Uh, the, the short of it uh, on the math side is Bitcoin miners take a cryptographic function, a hash function, and they do it a lot. Uh, we'll just leave it at a lot. And then there's a random chance that they will have a good hash. And once they have a good hash, they will um, add that new block they mined to the end of the blockchain. And they get a block reward for that, which I think is 12.5 Bitcoins. Um, uh, that's kind of the complicated technical answer. 
the high level idea is we have these Bitcoin miners and in the process of mining, the miners are pretty much directly converting energy into Bitcoins. And this is called proof of work. Um, so when people talk about Bitcoin not having any sort of inherent value, um, I generally come back to that point. Uh, arguments can be made whether or not that's a valuable use of energy, but it is certainly costing Bitcoin miners a sizable sum to create <laughs> these Bitcoins. They're definitely <laughs> spending money to get it. Whether or not it's worth the money is uh, something for the market to ter- determine. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, yeah, uh, lots of cryptocurrencies use proof of work. Um, there are other ways of securing a cryptocurrency. One of uh, another example is proof of stake. I don't have any good examples off the top of my head for proof of stake. I know Ethereum is moving to a proof of stake setup with Ethereum 2.0, but the idea there is um, to verify new transactions. Uh, owners of Ethereum can stake. They they contribute some sum of Ethereum to a pool. Uh, let's say it's, um, I think right now it's 50 Ethereum. And then once, however many people are involved in the staking, let's say 10, if they're all in agreement, then cool. Those transactions get verified and then the in the groups that are doing the staking get a reward for staking but if they stake and they um do something dishonest or not to the rules of staking like um they try to verify transactions that are not legitimate then they lose the ethereum that they were staking so it it's a way for people who have skin in the game to um, basically leverage their holdings. Mm. Yeah. So on the um, on the proof of work, Bitcoin in early 2020, actually, they dropped it down from 12.5 to 6.25 now. So if you uh, do all you. this crazy math, then it goes down to 6.25. And the final number, Ethereum stated for staking is exactly 32 ETH right now. So you need 32 Ethereum coins to be able to stake for ETH 2.0, which is the next generation that's happening right now. Oh, I was going to say, I I forgot that um, Ethereum had lowered the staking. And uh, yeah, a good call out on the Bitcoin halvening. Uh, when the Bitcoin reward decreases in this manner, it's a Bitcoin name. One of the things that I hear from folks that are skeptical of crypto is like, oh, it, it just like doesn't really exist, right? Like somebody's just making something out of nothing. And I want to emphasize what Logan referenced with the, um, with the proof of work. And so it's, it's kind of like an abstract mental exercise right but like what is 
what is any money that you have? How do you get the money that you have? I mean, granted, you might just be taking money and putting it in GameStop, and that's how you're getting the money that you have. I mean, um, aren't we all? <laughs> I, I think we are all doing that a little bit. For uh, for future listeners, while we are recording this, we're in the middle. It is a it is a Friday, and I think it was yesterday that Robinhood and Interactive Brokers and I think TD Ameritrade all halted trading on GameStop AMC. Oh, sorry. No, they they halted purchasing on GameStop and AMC and I think Bed Bath & Beyond and like basically all of these stocks that are kind of heading to the moon right now. Um, so I'm quite interested as of today how that's going to play out because yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what happened there, but it seems pretty shady. Anyways, <laughs> so you might have your money because you put 20 bucks in GameStop and now you're a multimillionaire or a lot of the money that you get, you get for what? You get it for work, right? Like you go to work and you do things. You can effectively say that all of your cash, all of the money sitting in your bank account is more or less a proof of work. You did work, you got paid for it, and that's where your currency comes from. So it's not such an abstract idea that like the way that Bitcoin works and the way that these other cryptocurrencies work is you have a computational proof of work, right? So it's not you that's doing the heavy lifting. It's not you that's going into the office and, and typing on a keyboard doing whatever. It's your computer that is converting energy into computing power. And you have to spend a lot of that energy and a lot of that computing power and you might get lucky and uncover this rare artifact and this rare artifact is worth a bunch of Bitcoin. So yeah, but my, my point being that it's not such a weird concept because the majority of what we see as currency period can be framed as you have proven that you have done work and therefore we are going to give you this currency. Uh, I really like that. And uh, this might also be kind of abstract, but when we talk about money, uh, I'm not an economist, but uh, money has some features, right? Uh, money needs to be fungible, right? So if you have a dollar, a dollar is worth a dollar everywhere. Uh, kind of like Doge. Um, it, <laughs> it needs to be fungible, easily divisible, uh, very difficult to counterfeit. Uh, these features I'm describing, the, the dollar has that, and also gold has that those features, um, uh, which is pretty interesting. Uh, when you look at the history of how gold became so valuable, um, uh, part of it is because gold is a very heavy metal. It's hard to counterfeit. It's very durable. It doesn't react with a lot of, I don't know, there aren't a lot of chemical reactions involving gold. Um, so yeah, uh, gold became partially as, value, as valuable as it is today due to these features. And a lot of cryptocurrencies also have these features. One, one thing that I know... I think of commonly when talking about cryptocurrencies, and and I would imagine folks that are are less directly related to the space uh, probably conflate these as well. Is you've probably heard about blockchain and distributed ledgers and cryptocurrencies and and these terms when you hear them so used so interchangeably, you might think that they're referring to the same thing. But I want to call this out in particular: is that um, 
blockchain and distributed ledgers and crypto, these are different concepts. And honestly, especially in the security community, you know what, honestly, in the investment community as a whole, so like new startups, stuff like that, I, I will say this, the number of times that I have been pitched on some new technology and it's just like, well, that sounds pretty cool. This is, this is a pretty cool idea. And they're, they're saying, well, it's going to do this and it's going to do that. And then they follow it up with, and it's on the blockchain. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just, I immediately lose interest. I immediately lose interest. There, there's, I remember it was like kind of another similar thing to have happen is it'd be like, oh, this, that, and the other thing. And we're doing our own ICO or initial coin offering. And you may have heard of these, but it's basically all these different companies have said they want to have their own cryptocurrency effectively. So any company that says they want to have their own ICO or initial coin offering is saying like, yes, my technology, it's going to use the blockchain. It's probably going to use some derivative of Ethereum or something like that. But we're going to have our own cryptocurrency and this currency is going to have value within our own ecosystem. And that's what our, um, that's what our technology is going to run on. And they can do this in different ways in terms of like, how do you get currency? How do you spend it? Uh, like, what, what are the rewards? Stuff like that. I mean, I, there, was a, there was one product that I was pitched that was basically instead of, instead of paying people for their, um, for their engagement on a given platform, so instead of giving them cash, they were going to get uh, some of this new cryptocurrency that was going to be made specifically for this purpose. And... Here's the thing about that is any company that is saying we're going to have an initial coin offering is most likely a Ponzi scheme. Uh, there is There are very few reasons that you should have your own coin, like especially now that we have Ethereum and you can do pretty much anything you want because Ethereum is effectively programmable money. Um, and we're going, to, we're going to talk a little bit about that here in a minute in greater depth. But uh, there is very little justification for you to need your own separate cryptocurrency. Um, but the benefit, the benefit when you have your own cryptocurrency is you can mine it yourself a bunch before you make it public because these are just mathematical equations that are being solved. So you can come up with a mathematical equation, solve it a bunch because it's always easier. Another, another trait with, I believe, all cryptocurrencies, if not all, then at least most, um, is the mining gets harder over time. So the initial miners that were mining uh, Bitcoin, finding a Bitcoin was much, much, much easier than it is now. Um, so if you're the one that is designing this new coin and you get to come up with what the algorithm is that has to be run in order for you to get the coin, then you can just run that a bunch before you make it public and get a stockpile of this coin ahead of time. And so what you've seen with a lot of these initial coin offerings is effectively that where they do a bunch of mining up front and then they release their product and then everybody's like, oh my gosh, it's a new cryptocurrency. I want to get a bunch. And so all of a sudden that cryptocurrency has value and then the person that that ran the ICO sells all their uh, all their holdings because all of a sudden all those all that crypto that they designed and, and mined themselves uh, has value because of this like influx of interest and it's, it's a Ponzi scheme. So blockchain on the other hand, oh, go for it, Logan. Oh, I was just going to chime in. Um, I probably should have brought this up at the top of the show, but with Bitcoin, one of uh, some more features related to the blockchain and proof of work is it makes 
um, Bitcoin self-sovereign, as in no one owns Bitcoin. It's a really a collaborative idea. Everyone owns the code. Anyone can start a miner and participate. And it's um, decentralized. It, it's decentralized. Thank, thank you. It has um, anti-censorship properties. So if you wanted to send a Bitcoin to anyone, uh, that's pretty much unstoppable. And that's really powerful. But if we're coming back to a company having an ICO um, and with blockchain, the, whatever their product is, they probably should just be using a distributed database. They don't need to be self-sovereign. A company <laughs> owns it and it doesn't need to have anti-censorship <laughs> yeah. properties. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and I and so this is this is the second thing that I want to harp on. So so in terms of like ways to know that you might be getting scammed, one of them is, oh, this company has an initial coin offering and it's gonna be great, like a uh, Ponzi scheme, don't touch it. Uh second is everything is on the blockchain now. And I wanna say that I, it was either IBM or the Azure cloud environment, they now have their own like blockchain database technology. I don't I don't know which it is, I don't understand it. I don't get why you would want to use it, but uh, blockchain is a very hot topic. And I'll tell you what, for something like cryptocurrencies, blockchain makes a lot of sense because it goes well with this notion of a distributed ledger. Um, basically, you, you have this quorum of computing power across the globe that is able to resolve the ledger and say, this is the true state of the world and it's really hard to break. Um, but for most purposes, for most purposes, as Logan said, blockchain is a solution in search of a problem. Unless you need the property of, I can distribute this. I don't trust any one party to behold the actual, like the be the source of truth uh, for the current state of this data. And uh, yeah, yeah, anti censorship, all this stuff. It you don't need it. Just use a database. Just use a <laughs> database. Like literally, that's all the that the distributed ledger on blockchain is a way to. Do exactly that. Take the ledger of who has what amount of, of Bitcoin or other cryptocurrency, distribute it across the world, and then have a quorum of the 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 majority of parties in the world agree upon this current state. Therefore, that is what the current state is. And that is such a niche thing to need. It makes sense for a financial tool because, you know, as you can see with today's GameStop trading, you you might not want to trust the big banks or the big hedge funds or you know these parties that have very conflicting interests to be the ones to tell you how much money is available or how many shares are available or stuff like that like they they have a lot of money to be made in lying to you with this there's no one party that holds the ledger there's no single place where it can be abused and so having a distributed open ledger makes sense for your app, for your uh, new website, for whatever you're doing, it's probably not the right solution. So always be skeptical when somebody says their technology is on the blockchain because, you know, if press them on it. Why is it necessary? And then if there's ever a product that is coming up with an initial coin offering, run. And on that, talking about Ponzi schemes, not all cryptocurrencies require it to be mind um there are some like 
Ripple, known as XRP, which is its three little code. It doesn't require to be mined at all. And it has a semi centralized ledger. And what that means is they control a lot of it. So they can dump XRP onto the market whenever they want. I think XRP, if you look into it more, and full disclosure, we're not financial advisors. We're not providing financial advice or anything like that. Disclaimer, disclaimer. (laughs) Full disclosure, we're really Uh, not financial experts. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But like XRP, I think, is the perfect example of a cryptocurrency that shouldn't exist uh, in itself. So that's my opinion. Maybe other people are like, that's the best thing in the world. And maybe I'm wrong. But... uh, what recently happened with it? Because I know I saw it in the I, I saw that it was gonna get unlisted from a number of Yeah, brokerages. so oh man. Okay. So so well they're being sued. Um there there are a few problems with it. This it, it is super in depth, but but basically there's a SEC complaint against Ripple. Uh that is still going through the core process. Um, A lot of people are realizing that, okay, maybe it is a scam, but that's not to do with the SEC um, uh, problem with it. Once that gets solved out and that should be solved out in like the next few months, maybe we'll do another episode on just XRP because there is so much to go into not just the complaints that it has against it, but how you can look at it for what not to look at in a cryptocurrency if you're looking for certain features, right? But we, we won't spend the whole episode just on that. Um, we won't talk about the bad things that crypto is for, uh, though we've talked about that a little bit, or, or how things like the blockchain is really abused by startups when they really don't need to. They just want to get that VC funding. And if you slap the word blockchain, AI, cyber, synergy, cyber, yeah, AI, blockchain, that's right. cyber, c- c- cyber, c- cyber, big data, cloud. you know, AI, blockchain. Oh, yeah, cloud. Uh, then then you'll get all the money from the investors. Got that big right? data energy. And it was uh, Azure is the one that has the blockchain platform. Um, so Microsoft mm. is getting on that blockchain, joining that fourth industrial revolution with uh, their Azure blockchain, I guess. But what what is cryptocurrency good for? Right. Let, let's talk about some of the pros of cryptocurrency because we can always bag on different cryptocurrencies and we can bag on other parts of cryptocurrencies that some people like to talk about, like the, the cryptocurrencies that require a proof of work. Uh, a lot of environmentalists hate them. And they're, that is because they require the use of a lot of energy. And they're worried about that leading to accelerated pollution of the Earth atmosphere. But outside of all that, what is it good for? And the number one thing I believe cryptocurrencies that are designed well is good for is it is decentralized. And how we talked about a little bit earlier, but decentralized as in 
most cryptocurrencies, no one entity owns it or no one establishment. There are pseudo banking institutions within the world of crypto, but a lot of them are moving to a model called DeFi, which is decentralized finance. And this allows individuals to put up money and fund other individuals as a bank would, but it is now, you know, hundreds of individuals providing the money for a loan for then someone to pay back them with. So they'll accept the loan and, you know, there will be a smart contract, which we'll talk about those here in a second, but there'll be a smart contract and the repayment on that loan has to happen at regular intervals. Now, these people could take a loan and depending on how they're doing their, um, what type of system they are in decentralized finance, they could lose all their money. Sometimes in decentralized finance, you have to put up money to get money. And it's a really weird model. If you think at it, they're like, well, if you already have the money, why do you need a loan? And there's a few answers for that. We won't get too in-depth with that because then we're going to go in this huge decentralized rabbit hole. And again, each one of the topics that we're talking about can be an entire episode. We could talk about this for hours. Same. At least I could talk about it with hours. My wife knows because she has to listen to it sometimes when I'm <laughs> ranting about certain cryptocurrencies. <laughs> so bless her soul, who she's still with me, even though I rant about this stuff sometimes. But it's not controlled by a nation, right? We're not going to have a central banking model with cryptocurrencies, even though they are trying. The the establishment in the banking world is trying its hardest to make sure that there is still centralized banking in the world of crypto. Uh, and, and there are some nations who are coming up with their own cryptocurrency. Uh, the U.S. has been exploring this for uh, the last few years uh, in itself as well. And this is once you step away from those, if you go to the big players, blockchain, Ethereum, oh, blockchain, sorry, Bitcoin, oh, geez, Bitcoin, Ethereum, <laughs> it's really early in the morning, guys. Um, <laughs> it is. Uh, but Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, you know, these other coins, uh, I'm a fan of Chainlink, right, as well. These are not, even though Chainlink is a little more centralized and, and than the others in, in decentralized finance. These are not controlled. All those are still not controlled by a single government or an, a nation. So it allows for more freedom. This also allows individuals um, more protections. And, and this will be more relevant in the years to come. So not to get doom and gloom on people, but the government being able to freeze your bank account it's possible right now to levy uh, wages against your your bank account. It's it's uh, or levy your wages before they go to your bank account. It's possible right now. It's going to get a lot worse here. I believe in the next five to ten years, like way worse. Uh, look at China for a great example. 
of, of what we're talking about with that. But another advantage of cryptocurrency, unlike the traditional banking system, I can send money faster through a cryptocurrency than I could if I'm just using my bank. So an example is if I have to transfer, let's say I have to transfer, I don't know, uh, $50,000 to someone internationally. That has to go through SWIFT. There's a whole bunch of checks that has to happen. Like, I know this person. I'm going to send them the money. Like, I have all their information. I want them to get the money very quickly. I want them to get it today. That may not be possible with SWIFT. Right. It might take it. It might take three days, might take more. Hey, Drew, I, I have a very concrete example here. Um, yeah, perfect. Uh, one of my buddies who lives in Germany, whenever he was in the U.S. last, he forgot his pair of headphones at my place. And, um, you know, it's a nice pair of headphones and I wanted to uh, reimburse him for them because shipping them back to him was just exorbitantly expensive. <clears throat> So I was asking like, hey, do you have Venmo? He's like, no, we don't have that in Germany. Right? Do, do we have PayPal? I don't have PayPal. I didn't want to send a wire transfer. So eventually I was just like, hey, can I send you some Ethereum? He's like, yeah, sure. And it took two minutes. And then he had the Ethereum. Yep. And I'm also <laughs> willing to bet that that Ethereum is now worth like 10x what it was then. <laughs> um, I, not 10x, but more, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, since since I mean, Drew, you brought this up, I think like maybe a month and a half ago, you're like, oh, buy ETH. It's going to do great. It's up 100% since then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she all should have listened to me if you didn't. <laughs> we offer no financial advice. No, I mean, that, that was that was just in between, I think, us three, right? Did I say that yeah. out loud? Yeah, that was podcast? just between yeah, us. That, that was just us three. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I, it was going up. Like all the indicators were like, "Yeah, this is this is gonna shoot up." And I mean, when I when I told you that ETH was more expensive at that time than than what a lot of people were thinking. I mean, it was at like four hundred and something, and now today it's it, it has hit yeah thirteen hundred, right? Yep. So your four hundred dollars with doing zero work, you buy one one ETH coin. You do zero work, and now it has almost tripled in price. Or oh, no, it has tripled in price. It has tripled like, in price. But, <laughs> but again, this that, that, that's because it's gone up. You could also pay for 400 It could go down to 50 Who knows? That's right. We're yeah. not making recommendations here. We're not. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about, talking about Ethereum. Um, you want to you wanna talk a little bit about smart contracts, uh, Chris? I know, I know. I think we all agree smart contracts is the future uh, when it comes to uh, one of the it's big magical. draws for Ethereum. Um, yeah. The way that I would describe it, and, and I think Logan's definitely more of an expert here than I am. But if, if you think about kind of, um, let's say that you're going to start a deposit or you're going you're gonna to engage in some sort of transaction with your traditional bank, right? Behind the scenes, they have a bunch of processes of what happens when they get that money, depending on like, are you buying stock? Are you just making a deposit? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? So basically, you can think about it as you give them money, and then there is a series of actions that they take, and then there is an outcome. Um, 
Well, you effectively have that same capability with something like Ethereum, except it's it's quote unquote on the blockchain. So you have what's called a smart contract um, that you can it, it's publicly it's publicly available, so you can see what the code is, you can see what it does, um, and the the point of a smart contract is it's effectively a piece of software that is guaranteed to run uh, when something else happens. Logan, why don't you fill in the details that I'm missing? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, uh, that's a pretty good summary. I'll I'll start out with an example that everyone can look up. Uh, we'll drop a link in the show notes. There's a website called EtherRoll. It, it's a really simple web app. Um, now you install like a plugin so you can uh, deposit Ethereum into a wallet that can be used on the website. And once you do that, it, it's it's a dice rolling game where you wager, hey, I'm going to roll a dice, a die, and I think it'll come in below 50. And if it does, you win money. And if it doesn't, you lose. And you can change um, the stakes and the payout. And what's so amazing about this is it's all governed by a smart contract on the blockchain, which has been audited. So it's it's online gambling without a counterparty. Uh, I guess the counterparty is the code on the blockchain. So even when you go to a casino in Vegas, you have to trust that when you go up to the window to redeem your, um, I was going to say tokens, uh, what are they called? <laughs> it's early. Chips. chips, yeah. When you go up to redeem your chips for cash, you still have to trust the um, casino to give you cash for them. But uh, with these smart contracts, uh, the code executes and, yeah, you will get your payout in Ethereum no matter what. You don't have to trust anyone. Yeah, and there is another side you have to be aware with smart contracts. Smart contracts, when you develop them, can have logical flaws in them. So, and if your smart contract has a logical flaw, it can be abused. So... We've had to review smart contracts for clients before. And as we deal with some clients in the crypto space. And with that, they, they've developed smart contracts. If they're young in the world of smart contracts, they'll have certain flaws that could be abused. So payouts could happen even if milestones aren't met. So that is uh, that, that's the... Number one item that you want to look out for, make sure if you're doing a smart contract that it looks legit or it is legit and it is audited in itself. Don't just think that because you can do smart contracts, everything is, uh, you know, perfect and and nothing can be abused. We kind of compared, you know, Bitcoin to, to gold and silver a little bit. And in my uneducated opinion, I see Bitcoin kind of like gold and I see Ethereum kind of like silver, right? And uh, because silver, the metal itself, doesn't just store value. It has a utilitarian purpose. So does Ethereum. Where the utilitarian purpose for Bitcoin is not as large as it is for Ethereum itself. And that's why I kind of compare Bitcoin to gold uh, and silver uh, for that one-to-one. 
but like gold and silver, they can be used to hedge against inflation. Again, we are not financial advisors. We're not economists. We are tech nerds that like to play with objects that communicate to each other with ones and zeros. So this is why, you know, we're, we're, we're really heavily, you know, interested in this space. But it is, we've seen other places, other countries where hyperinflation has happened. People had the ability to move their current currency over to some type of cryptocurrency and they were able to beat out the hyperinflation. I have one friend uh, from a central, uh, actually it's a, a South American country, starts with a V. I'm sure you can take a guess what one it is. Um, but early on, he was like really into this whole Bitcoin stuff. And I was in 2010 when I first learned about Bitcoin, you know, I was like, okay. Yeah, this is cool. Maybe it will go somewhere. I wasn't like super into it. But in 2011, he was. He's like, all right, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to buy, you know, Bitcoin. And at that time, buying Bitcoin was like not a super popular idea. People were selling Bitcoin for like a dollar. They're like, oh, yeah, Bitcoin. Okay. Um, you want one Bitcoin? Like, okay, I'll sell you 100 Bitcoin for $100. And uh, which were real things that people were doing. So he bought, you know, uh, he spent uh, a small bit of money. It was like $20 or something like that. And he bought Bitcoin. He bought, I forget how many he bought. Um, it was over 20, but like under 30. Mm-hmm. And his country has gone through a phase of like rapid degradation. And uh, he was able to sell some of his Bitcoin. Now he didn't sell it at the peak of forty thousand. He actually didn't even sell it at the initial peak of twenty thousand in like twenty seventeen. He was able to sell his Bitcoin. Uh, I think he sold it at around like three thousand per Bitcoin. Um, but that put him and his family in a really good position where he was at. Um, and and he's still you know doing well. So it can be used to hedge against inflation that is happening when your country starts printing tons of money, right? Uh, when your uh, country is running into an issue where if they increase interest rates, they will now not be able to pay the interest on their own loans that they have. I'm not saying that you should buy crypto for, you know, because... You know, I think the, the United States dollar is going to crash or anything like that. But as you should treat rare mer- uh, earth metals that are used to hedge against inflation or a store of value, you can treat crypto the same way. So does that mean dump your entire life savings into that? No. Yes. Does that mean? Never. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, but GameStop. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, uh, does that mean that you shouldn't maybe take a look into buying uh, a little bit of it? You know, you, you can make that decision for yourself again. Again, we're not financial advisors. We're not here to provide you anything. What I can tell you I do though is yeah, I own cryptocurrency. 
I I own it as both a hedge against inflation and I own it as a I don't view it solely as this, but I view it as a small investment item that if it goes up and does well, it works out well for me. But if it goes down and everything I own is now worth, you know, $10 in the crypto world, that's okay. Like, that's fine with me as well. I'm not worried about losing the money that I put into it because I view it as a, I'm going to buy it right now. And if it goes up, that's great. But if it goes down, I lost that amount of money. And, and I only put in the amount of money I'm willing to lose into it. Uh, we've talked an awful lot about cryptocurrencies so far. Um, uh, for those who are interested, uh, how can they go about procuring them? Uh, how can we get cryptocurrencies today? Um, there are uh, a couple ways to go about it. <clears throat> uh, one method which I do not recommend would be to purchase uh, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin or Ethereum on platforms like Robinhood. And I think, does PayPal support this now? I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I, d- I don't want to pick on Robinhood. Uh, the greater point I'm trying to make I'll is... I'll pick on Robinhood. Don't buy it on Robinhood. <laughs> um, if... Um, there are apps where you can purchase Bitcoin, but you cannot withdraw Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies to your own wallet. You should not um, purchase there. If, you, if you're unable to withdraw the cryptocurrencies to your own wallet, you don't really own the cryptocurrencies in, in the way that would motivate us to purchase the cryptocurrencies in the first place. Yeah, and we'll talk about wallets uh, in a little bit. But but a good exchange, like we talked about ones that you shouldn't use, but but a good one, and, and I'll, I'll say this, uh, Chris and Logan may have a different opinion. Um, oh, God, of course, as soon as I start talking, the, the name leaves my, my, uh, my mind. Uh, Gemini. If you're going to look for an exchange to buy it on, Gemini, we have no affiliation with them. They don't even know we exist. Um <laughs> But but that is going and we'll talk about moving your cryptocurrency from a what's known as a warm wallet, which is means it's stored online in their database to a cold wallet, which means it's stored on essentially like a USB flash drive that you can control and take anywhere. Um, but yeah, that that's instead of just talking about the ones that we shouldn't go to, like Robinhood or, or anything like that. Um, Gemini is, a, is one that that I like. And allows you to yep. do a lot of the security controls. Yep. Gemini is a very reputable exchange. Uh, Coinbase is also a reputable exchange. They have two interfaces. You can use normal Coinbase, which makes it very easy to purchase cryptocurrencies. They also have an exchange called Coinbase Pro, which is more like it's market-based. Uh, you can set, it, you can do market buys and various limit orders there. Um, another thing I'd like to point out with Coinbase, and I believe Gemini as well, is that uh, I'll just say it for Coinbase. They are FDIC insured. So if you were to deposit 
uh, a sum of money under $250,000 in Coinbase Pro, it's insured the same way it would be at a bank. And that's pretty remarkable. Um, Now, once you purchase cryptocurrencies with your dollars, I do not believe that is not FDIC insured. But it's safe to leave your dollars in Coinbase. Okay, um, moving on, getting a little bit more technical. Um, If you're really gun-ho and tech-savvy, you can mine these cryptocurrencies. Um, It is more complicated and it does require uh, purchasing specialized hardware, at least for a lot of the um, very large proof-of-work coins. If you were to attempt to mine Bitcoin, for example, on your laptop, you would never mine a Bitcoin. (laughs) Uh, There's too much specialized hardware that has been created purely for the purpose of mining Bitcoin. Um, There are other cryptocurrencies, though, which can be mined using uh, GPUs like gaming graphics cards. So that might be viable, but Generally, I think this falls outside of the scope of this episode. If you want cryptocurrencies, you can mine them. Yeah, and and typically, if you're mining them, you're going to be paying more for the power that you're spending on mining them than you're going to be getting back in the crypto. So you're kind of making a bet that the value of the crypto is going to go up afterwards. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, One last way I'd like to point out um, to purchase cryptocurrencies is there are now... Uh, I know of at least one trust that has a fund that individuals can invest into to get exposure to cryptocurrencies in their uh, brokerage and retirement accounts, which is pretty interesting. It's Grayscale. Uh, We have no affiliation with Grayscale. I really don't know much about them. But if you were really a Bitcoin believer... It is possible to um, hold Bitcoin in your IRA, for example. Before, when we were talking about the ways that crypto, well, not crypto, like blockchain and and, um, ICOs are potentially scams, but let's talk a little bit about how kind of some other shady stuff that you'll commonly see around cryptocurrency. And kind of first and foremost is, in my mind at least, is the Silk Road. And this is a website that was taken down. I think there's like a handful of new dark web uh, dark web exchanges now. Uh, but this was kind of the original and biggest one where it was effectively like an Amazon marketplace, but available on the dark web. And the main currencies that it was uh, using were all cryptocurrencies. And this is a website where you could get all sorts of illicit substances shipped directly to your door. The guy that was running it ended up getting... Um, being on the receiving end of a sting where I think he had... The story was that he had purchased a hit on somebody. um, And it turns out that the person he had hired the hit from was a police officer or something to that effect. Um, But but basically, it's this massive, illicit material marketplace that was on the dark web that cryptocurrency was the means of, of doing business there. Another big thing that we will... Oh, we'll, we'll, we I think we mentioned in the securing your home business uh, securing your home business episode. So I encourage you to go back and listen to that. But ransomware is a gigantic pain. 
and is honestly probably one of the most visible pieces of malware that we uh, hear of these days. I guess it's going down in popularity a little bit. Uh, but ransomware, which is this software where once you install it, it will take all of your important documents on your computer and encrypt them all uh, with a key that is that, that you can't find and then force you to pay cryptocurrency in order for them to unlock uh, or, or de-encrypt de- your files. And this is a way to basically hold you ransom and you have to pay crypto. And because of the largely, but not entirely, anonymous nature of the crypto that they're using, uh, it's very hard to catch the folks that, that did this. There's also just general scams. Uh, like a few months ago, for anybody that remembers the Twitter hack, where there were a bunch of very high profile uh, Twitter accounts that were saying like, "Hey, send me, you know, I'm I'm feeling super generous. Send me Bitcoin to this address, and I'll send you back twice as much." And uh, yeah, first off, don't do that. <laughs> it, it 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 might look legitimate when you have people like Elon Musk and Apple. I want to say like Tim Cook was on there. Uh, like, like all of these, all of the was it wasn't that, I think Obama's account was was hacked as well. But yeah, so so these messages that go just out across Twitter that say, "Yeah, send me Bitcoin and I'll send you back twice as much." Uh, that's a scam. Don't do it. Don't don't send Bitcoin into random addresses. You cannot get it back. Uh, there's been exchange hacks. So these big exchanges where you go to to do your trading. The biggest one that comes to mind for me is Mountain Gox. Um, but you got to think like, considering that all of this currency is digital and it's making its way through software. Uh, if you if you have a way to kind of compromise the exchange where all of this trading is taking place, you have the ability to potentially steal all of that Bitcoin. So these exchanges, well, assuming that it's assuming that it's done in a in a poor manner, so these exchanges have massive targets on their back. And generally speaking, when you're thinking about how secure something has to be, you have to weigh that against, well, what's the value to attackers? Like if, it, if somebody breaks into this, what's the value that they're going to get out of it? Because that is the break-even point uh, for investing if you're going to actually go after something. So look, it might be really hard to break into something, but if I make $50 million to do it, then I can afford to spend $40 million in, t- in trying. And if I make my 50, I'm $10 million ahead. So these these exchanges have huge targets on their back, and uh, are are there is proof now that they have been compromised, or the people running them are shady, and and just generally speaking, these exchanges are uh, have historically been not so great. There's smart contract hacks. So when we were talking about the smart contracts that you have with Ethereum, where you effectively have a piece of software that is guaranteed to run, you can verify the input and output. It's going to happen because it's on the blockchain. You can't stop it. Um, for anybody that has tried to write software before, you may have experienced the process where it's like, oh, this doesn't do what I thought it would do. That's my day in, day out constantly. Uh, but the fact of the matter is all software has bugs and those bugs can become vulnerabilities. And there's actually a, a group of folks, their, their names are not coming to mind uh, immediately now, but they did some talks a few years ago on... Again, because the Ethereum uh, blockchain is, uh, uh, because the Ethereum ledger is publicly available, you can look at the code that's going to run. You can do a security audit of the code that's going to run. And they did a bunch of security audits and found a bunch of smart contracts that had vulnerabilities that, if exploited, you could get all of the um, Ethereum that ran through them. 
There's also always going to be your phishing attacks and malware. I mean, these are standard, just tricking you into doing something. You could make an argument that the Twitter hack was an example of a phishing attack just because you're getting lied to in order to be part you from your hard-earned uh, cryptocurrency. Um, but there's another attack that is unique to this distributed ledger notion. And it's honestly that whether or not we'll see it happen, I'm not sure. Uh but it is a really interesting theoretical attack. And so we were talking before about how you have this distributed ledger, which is to say the current state of the ledger that says who has how much of this cryptocurrency and who's doing the trade, stuff like that. It's this public ledger that is distributed to all these different parties. And then in order for you to transact, you look at, hey, what does 51% of the network say is the current real state of the world? And then you trust that like, okay, cool. Well, if 51% of all the parties that have this data are saying that it's this particular way, then I'm going to trust it. And so this whole ecosystem relies on this notion of a quorum uh, being really difficult to compromise. Because if there was an attacker that was able to compromise 51% of the machines or have 51% of the say in this, like, hey, what is the ledger? If, if one party or one coalition of parties is able to say something wrong, but still have it represent 51% of the view, then you can basically corrupt the ledger. And I guess corrupt is probably not the right, the right way to put it. You can double spend. And if you can double spend, that's not good because now you can easily copy your money. So, so again, the attack here is... One that we've seen in some of the small altcoins, but not one that we've seen in any, any one of the big big coins, is an adversary is able to somehow take control of at least 51% of the computing power that is running transactions for the cryptocurrency. And as such, they have control over the quorum, which means they have control over saying what the ledger actually contains. And you could see an entire cryptocurrency completely collapse as a result of that sort of attack. So these are very quickly, you know, covered a, a lot of a few ways that you can protect yourself in the crypto world. And, and I would say at this time, they're no longer optional. So there is now a little bit more of a barrier to get in there. At a very base minimum, I use multi-factor authentication. Set that up. Uh, the the sites that you are going to be going through, um, you know, let's say you're using Gemini, it is very easy to set all this up. They lead you through it step by step, uh, so you don't have to be technical. But then after you get that all set up, you buy your first set of cryptocurrency. Look at getting a hardware wallet. I look at people's reviews for them. Again, uh, I have a few different types that I like. But you want to make sure you do your own research on what ones that you like. And when you're purchasing your hardware wallet, get it directly from the manufacturer. Don't buy them on eBay. Be careful when even buying them on Amazon. Because people might have already set it up to some capacity uh, and have your particular set of keys uh, or, or have your private key that's associated with that. 
So buy directly from the manufacturer. If the box looks like it was tampered with, return it. Don't don't take a risk with that because that is a vulnerability that has been exploited before with people buying cheaper than list price hardware wallets. So that, that covers that, like how to protect yourself and your crypto um, when dealing with these markets. Again, very high level overview. Do your own research on top of this. There's tons of YouTube videos. We'll link one YouTube video that talks about hardware wallets um, so you can get a good foundation of what that looks like. So we've covered, we've covered a lot of information in this episode. Your three takeaways for today's episode are, one, cryptocurrencies are an exciting new technology which you should not invest your entire net worth in. Two, not your keys, not your coins, store whatever you have yourself. And three, it's the Wild West. If you decide to own any, do your own research into how to protect your digital assets. And four, put your life savings into GameStop. GME all the way. And if you don't know what we're talking about, GameStop. about with GME, look up Wall Street Bets. Do not ever take financial advice from them, but look up Wall Street Bets GME uh, situation. And if you're listening to this podcast years down the mm-hmm. road, this is in 2021. Uh, it is a story to behold if you <laughs> are so not much familiar with it. For sure. It. <laughs> That's the best. Crazy. All right. <laughs> But we hope you've learned more about the wild west of cryptocurrencies and how to protect your coins. The nascent technology is incredibly promising, but who knows what the cryptocurrency landscape will look like in 10 years and where Bitcoin will be then. You can definitely spend a couple dollars and try out the experience, but we don't recommend going all in quite yet. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Security Explained. If you enjoyed listening, we'd love to hear from you. We're always looking for new topics that our audience finds interesting, and you might be able to pick our next show. Feel free to reach out via social media or give us a rating on your listening platform to let us know how we're doing. You can find us on the web at securityexplained.fm or on Twitter at SecExplained. Thanks again, and until next time, stay safe. Stay safe.